Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm one of your two hosts, Katie Halper. <laughs> that, I guess, makes me the other one. I'm Matt Taibbi. Welcome, Matt. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Useful Idiots, uh, coronavirus week whatever edition. Yeah. How many weeks have we been in quarantine now? I don't know, a couple months? A couple months. I'm strangely like not tired of it yet. Really? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm kind of a misanthrope anyway, so I don't right. really, you know, see, you know, as, as I think it was Sartre once said, hell is other people. So I'm, I'm not quite freaking out yet. Yourself? So you're like excited that people are dropping off? No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, reveling in the deaths of all those right. people. I'm just, you know, I, the fact that I'm not seeing so many is strangely not, not affecting my psyche negatively. And yourself, you're doing well? I am. I'm, I'm also appreciating having some dogs around. I think I'm a more social person than you are. But, it, but it's not, it's, I'm around other people, family and a family friend, which makes a big difference. The family friend and not just family. Because it kind of prevents me from totally devolving and regressing. Mm. Like I have mm-hmm. to have somewhat of a game face. Right. Well, none of us have, have gone completely openly insane yet. So no. that's that's these are all good signs. So yeah. um, that leaves it. It makes it possible for us to continue to do the show. And, and nice segue. Nice segue, right? Uh, yeah. That was that was good. Uh, so let's, I guess, we just move into the four food groups, sure, uh, yeah. which begins as always with Democrats suck. So what do we have for Democrats suck this week? For Democrats suck, uh, Dan, if we could just go to the videotape to see one of our two favorite living Cuomos. When we are reopening schools, let's open a better school, and let's open a smarter education system. And I want to thank the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation. We'll be working with them on this project. Bill Gates uh, is a visionary in many ways, and uh, his ideas and thoughts on technology and education he's spoken about for years. But I think we now have a moment in history where we can actually incorporate and advance those ideas. Okay, so I'm always suspicious of any Bill Gatesian projects or Gates Foundation projects. I'm not an education policy expert, but you know who is, is Diane Ravage. Uh-huh. And uh, I'd like to just quote her and her response to the Bill Gates's tendencies. She said that she distinguishes between reformers and disruptors in education, and she's writing about Bill Gates in this context. I call them disruptors, not reformers. Reformers have historically called for more funding, better trained teachers, desegregation, smaller class sizes. The disruptors, however, banked on a strategy of testing, competition, and punishment, which turned out to be ineffective and harmful. So I thought it was interesting and cool that Ravitch, this education scholar and expert, that she called him a disruptor. Because I just think that's so on brand, like that's exactly the word that Gates and other Gates supporters would use to describe themselves because they like all that like edgy nomenclature. Well, creative destruction, right, is the is the word that sort of free market advocates like to use. Yes. Anyway, so it's just a, a, you know, a kind of scary combination. Also, uh, Gates is a uh, F.O.E., friend of Epstein, uh, or was a friend of Epstein, I suppose. They hung out a little bit, so another red flag. But his, he's just like has a very neoliberal privatizing uh, core curriculum, standardized testing type of education model that I think is not helpful and is punitive. 
So I just don't like his products all that much. And I just hate having to pay for Word every time I, I know, get a computer. Yeah. Like, really? It's just non-user friendly products. It really is not user friendly. In fact, I think all parents or people over a certain age should be banned from using them because I feel like I would save a lot of time and heartache if my dad were on Mac and not PC. Because mm -hmm. um, right. like you said, it's not user friendly. And the way my dad responds to tech issues is is as if he's the victim of a pogrom or something. Like it's so personalized and so such an injustice. Right. So basically Cuomo wanted to use the opportunity of this crisis to reinvent education and with, with the help of the Gates Foundation. Right. It's kind of yeah, shock yeah. doctrine-ish, as Naomi Klein describes it. Once again, we're, we're not letting a crisis go, good crisis go to waste. So, uh, yeah. All right. All right. That's good. So, so that, that's a Democrat suck. Uh, for Republicans suck, I got Kelly Leffler again. And it just came out. This story just came out in the Times today. Uh, Leffler got a lucrative parting gift from public company en route to the Senate. And by today, I guess by the time this comes out, it's going to be a few days from now. But this is early in the week. The story came out that... Um, you know, in addition to the earlier scandal, which to, to remind listeners, it came out that a bunch of senators uh, and members of Congress had sort of panic sold stocks after they were briefed about the seriousness of the coronavirus. So they they essentially, uh, you know, got out ahead of all of us uh, with inside information and and cashed in uh, while there were while there was all this public reassurance that things were all right. If you might remember that uh, Leffler was one of the one of the biggest targets of the scandal because uh, her, her husband is the chairman of the stock exchange, Je uh, Jeff Sprecher. I love it. I love that name. Yeah. Uh, and he, uh, they sold about I think it was three million worth of securities uh, after a briefing that she had uh, in late January. So there was already a lot of scandal around Leffler uh, surrounding, you know, taking financial advantage of this crisis. And now, like, putting, to put salt in the wound, the Times is doing this story that basically said that as she was entering the Senate, the um, Intercontinental Exchange, which is the, I think the parent company of the NYSE, that they, they gave her, like, a, a $9 million like, uh, stock award uh, basically like he's a going away present uh, to go off to public service. And uh, there was a, here's the quote was amazing. This is Josh King, a spokesman for the Intercontinental Exchange said the awards to Mrs. Leffler reflected what, what, uh, what he said was her instrumental long-term role at the company. Uh, quote, we admire Kelly's decisions to serve her country in the U.S. Senate and did not want to discourage that willingness to serve, Mr. King said in a statement. In other words, we want, we want to make sure that you're not going to decide against going into the Senate for financial reasons. Right. Uh, so let's, here's $9 million, right. which should tide you over uh, until you get back into the welcoming embrace of the Intercontinental Exchange. Right. You don't want someone to not go into government for a lack of $9 million. Exactly. I mean, that would be a tragedy that, yeah. I mean, uh, like that this couldn't be remedied. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a pretty bad one. This on, on top of the Burr story, um, it, it is a bipartisan thing because there are some Democrats who, who, did, who did some of the same stuff. But uh, these, these two are particularly horrible. Uh, and, you know, this, this one, uh, 
I, I think there's going to be probably more blowback about th- about this the further we get into uh, this crisis because the you know Leffler is voting for a rescue package that is going directly to propping up the NYSE. So you know, well, not directly, more or less directly, right? They're they're flooding Wall Street with money uh, through the Fed and a lot of that money is being used to create liquidity that's going back into the stock market that's keeping prices artificially high uh, and keeping everybody in the money. So, you know, that looks pretty bad. NYSC gives $9 million to a senator who votes for a rescue package that helps the NYSC. I mean, that's, that's about as clear cut as, uh, as that sort of payola politics gets. So They're paying not- it forward, Matt. Paying it forward. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's, that's my Republican suck this week. Yeah. So should I go to my isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. We got a, an interesting story. And if we could go to the videotape, uh, Dan, spoiler alert, it's someone uh, allegedly licking hands before touching food. And the Sumter Sheriff's Department asking for your help tonight to identify this woman seen on video licking her hands and then touching items inside a sub shop. It happened this past Monday at the substation 2 on Peach Orchard Road near Shaw Air Force Base. In the video, you see the woman lick her hand several times and then proceed to touch items around the store. If you know who this woman is, call Crime Stoppers at one crime sc So we now know who the woman allegedly is, Shanir Holiday. She's 38 and she's facing charges including unlawful malicious tampering with food and breach of peace. Again, she licked her hands and coughed before opening freezer doors and touching food at an IGA grocery store, police said Sunday. Uh, She also did this in the dry food section. And they heard about this from a call about her and they were able to find her in the parking lot. And they identified her and determined she matched the suspect's description. Surveillance footage showed that what she'd done according to the official account. she also, I guess, has a record, uh, a substation record. Uh, she's accused of a previously reported incident in which a woman at a substation two sandwich restaurant allegedly licked coins before putting them in the tip jar and licked her hands before giving the cashier money. Wait, she's the same person who did that? Yes. It's her thing. She, she's, a, she, she's a licker. Yeah, she's a licker. So yeah. wait, and this happened before the COVID crisis or...? or? The other one. That's a really good question, actually. I don't know. We should look into that. Well, regardless, I don't know how I feel about her being arrested for this. I mean, uh, it's gross. No, no, it's just right. it's a little bit subjective, it uh, feels like to me. I'm, I'm sure yeah. the way they found her is they found the one person who bought a, a champion brand uh, pantsuit. I was going right. to say, it's an impressive jumpsuit uh, yeah. or, or sports tracksuit. What is that? I, I, I can't tell. I think it's a tracksuit. Are there two different garments? Yeah, it must be, right? But it's, yeah, it's Champion. Champion, the, the brand. The brand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, I'm, you know, pro- there's probably only four people in America who have bought that product, I would think. So probably pretty, pretty easy to track down uh, that person. But uh right. But wow, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, is that going to be a thing now? Are, there, are we, are we, are we going to start prosecuting people who cough in public? On, well, you know, if it's or... intentional, right? I mean, I, I, be, I feel like your civil, civil libertarian antennae are probably going off right now, right? Correct, Matt? Am I right? I'm just, I'm just, it's a little different than, than some other 
things that are that are in this ballpark, right? They they had they had uh, some debates about this, you know, in in, in previous health crises. Uh, but this this is feels like it's a little bit more subjective to me. But you know, I, it's it's gross. Don't don't get me right. wrong. I just don't. I just I just worry about it a little bit. Well, she apparently I like this part. Apparently, uh, reading at Fox Five uh, NY dot com, deputy said the woman exited the store before the workers were done making her food and told them she will be back. Deputies did not find her at the shop when they arrived after the incident. She was put on a trespass notice for all substation sandwich shops and charged with aggravated breach of peace and food tampering. She's being held at a detention center on a one hundred thousand dollar bond. She was also issued a violation citation for the state's home or work order and was ordered to be tested for the novel coronavirus. That's actually maybe good. Maybe this is a good thing because maybe this is her way of getting tested for free. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe I've changed my mind about this. I, I don't know. Whatever, whatever they did is probably appropriate. It, it's, it's pretty weird. It's, it's interesting that they have a protocol for substation sandwich shops Right. Uh, so. I mean, why should she have a like restraining order or whatever the equivalent is against that store in particular? What if she targets like like yeah, she could go in anywhere? Or, yeah. What yeah. if Wendy's next or McDonald's or Baskin Robbins? Baskin or... Robbins. That would suck because I really like their ice cream. Really? Oh yeah. I once I w- I really you know we've talked about ice cream before and I don't know if you remember Matt. Do you remember any of my favorites? I don't. I'm oh my sorry. God, I remember one of yours, a strawberry, which I'm oh, not mm-hmm. okay with. Um, <laughs> I find problematic. Uh, mint chocolate chip. And one day I was really craving mint chocolate chip ice cream. And I went into like three Baskin Robbins and they didn't have it. And then the third one I went to, the guy, there was like a, a, at least two servings worth of mint chocolate chip ice cream at the bottom of the barrel. And the guy tried to deny me it. And he he even, I was like, what do you mean? It's right there. And he even like pantomimed his inability to do it by like going like this, but not even reaching down. He wouldn't, he'd even straighten his arm. It was all like a bent arm, not even any effort. And I was like, no, you, there's some down there. And then he finally did it. And I was happy. Actually, I called the guy and told him to do that to you. Yeah, when you yeah. Came in. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, just, pre- just pretend you can't, you just barely can't reach it. I know. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. Uh, that is terrible. All right. Yeah. So cereal liquor, that is weird. That, yeah. Isn't that weird? That's weird. I think, isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, isn't that terrible? Uh, I got two things I'm going to do fairly quickly. One is a story. Uh, Dan, if we could bring this up. Coronavirus uh, researcher killed in suspected murder-suicide. So if you can see the headline, a University of Pittsburgh researcher on the verge of a breakthrough of understanding the coronavirus was found shot dead in his home. According to a report, Bing Liu, 37, was allegedly killed inside his Pittsburgh area townhouse by a man who went, then went outside to his car and shot himself. So yeah. it's a New York, New York Post story, which Katie actually sent to me. And uh, the reason... Uh, uh, what's amazing is the coincidence. I had already seen right. the story because I have a basically a, a Google alert for what I call comma self stories. Right. So anytime there there are murder suicides, uh, I, I had a friend who randomly used to collect headlines that say some something right. comma self, uh, and this one was on there, even though it's not in the headline. But there were a whole bunch last week. You know, um, prominent Madison dentist kills ailing wife comma self. 
father kills adult son comma self in new england there's there's, there's a whole bunch of them yeah man kills neighbor's friend then self in treasure beach neighborhood so in the midst of looking through all those i had seen this one which has an additional news angle because it's it's like horrible Right. Additionally, because the, the, the he might have also been on the verge of finding the cure right. for coronavirus when he became a comma self headline. Uh, I so makes me happy about the other ones almost. I mean, <laughs> not happy, but it's not fair to the other ones because it's so bumped to the bottom of the barrel. Speaking of Baskin Robbins, uh, because I mean, those are sad, but they don't kill other people the way right. that murder suicide involving someone on the brink of a cure right yeah exactly so we're not we're now in like uh, genres of news stories where you have to have multiples of horribleness to even qualify right exactly as horrible right so right the, just a just a regular old murder you know comma self murder suicide that's like a page 11 story you know maybe in a local right. newspaper uh but it has if if the person who's comma selfed was on the verge of curing coronavirus or whatever it was, um, you know, that might get you all the way to page two in, in you know, in the, the current environment. That really, right? uh, yeah, that, that raises the bar. Right. That throws off the curve. It throws off the curve. Yeah. It, right. We're not flattening the curve here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, but, nice pun. But somebody, somebody's got to come up with a, like a horribleness equation. I remember right. the, like they did those statistics in the, in the, early 90s about how many people in Africa have to be slaughtered in order to e equal the column inches of one Upper East Side murder, murder victim. Uh, but the, there's got to be some kind of algorithm you could do to figure out how much yeah, horribleness you need to actually, yeah. Except that's uh, a good equation. Ours, ours is not problematic. Our equation is just literally based on lives saved as opposed to um, colonialism and racism. Right. Yes, exactly. Well, we're measuring something different. By curve, I meant like a grading on a curve. Oh, I see. Yes. I meant like it raises the bar, but you're right. It also relates to the flattening of the curve. Right. Right. And then just quickly, and then another, this is another one, another story that Katie sent me. Dan, if we could pull this story up. Uh, Elon Musk's partner Grimes reveals meaning behind baby's name. I knew you'd be triggered by this story. I, I am kind of triggered. Yeah. So Tesla CEO Elon Musk and singer Grimes have welcomed a baby boy. So when somebody asked the baby's name, Musk replied, I can't even describe what it is. He replied X, and then it's uh, like that Aeon Flux symbol, like AE, uh, which apparently is an Elven symbol. And then it's A12 Musk is the name. Right. So the name began trending on Twitter. And then and people are asking, can, can anyone enlighten me on how you pronounce this name? And so this prompted Grimes, who's a singer who confirmed the pregnancy in January. She explained that the X stands for the unknown variable. The AE is the elven spelling of AI, which is shorthand for artificial intelligence and translates to love in, in several languages, such as Japanese. And that the 32-year-old star then shared that as a, uh, a part of her son's name is a reference to the couple's favorite aircraft, A-12, a precursor to the SR-17, uh, no weapons, no defenses, just speed, great in battle, but nonviolent, he added. I don't know what the fuck that means. Do you know what that means? No, I mean, I guess it's a pacifist plane. It's in great in battle? Yeah, how is it great in battle without being violent? I guess it transports people to be in battle, but doesn't actually kill people on the way. Uh, Grimes concluded the message by revealing that the A in the name also represents Ar Archangel, which she described as her favorite song. Uh, I don't even know that song. Do you know that song? No. 
I, I, part of me, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about this. I'm, I'm a huge Prince fan. So, you know, as a, right. as, as a fan of somebody who had a, a literally an unpronounceable symbol as his name right. uh, for, um, for most of his career, I, I'm okay with having a weird name. Uh, you, everybody has a right to do that. But right. I wonder a little bit about, about the kid who doesn't have a choice in that name. Right. But. Yeah. The person has the right to choose that for themselves. It's almost like being raised by a Christian scientist or something. Right. Like, let them grow up to be adults before they decide to make the terrible decision not to take medication. Right, right. Yeah. Or like being in the Heaven's Gate cult or something like that and being right. you know, give, being given the name like Borp or something. Right. You know, like, I, guess, I guess it's okay. I, I don't know. But uh, speaking of equations, like, is there an equation? Because I feel like Prince is so incredibly talented and uh, was so incredibly talented and unique that it kind of justifies a weird name. I, I feel like you have to have achieved some stuff in life before you get to be, if not right. just painful pretentiousness. Right, right, yeah. Like Pr Prince was so awesome that that even even uh, his insistence on on calling himself by a name that you literally can't right. pronounce, even that came out as not being somehow pretentious. Right. Uh, I think so exceptional. Yeah, exactly. Like it it actually kind of worked a little bit, uh, but in this case. I don't know what we're really talking about here. This is a kid is going to go to school. What's your name? You know, uh, the baby. <laughs> do you, do you have, do you, yeah. Do you, do you have five minutes? I'll explain right, it to yeah, you. You know, exactly. and here, here's an Elven dictionary. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I was. I, I, I was. You were correct. I was triggered by this. Story. I need to be really upset by it. I at first yeah. I was like, that should be. Isn't that weird? And I was like, no. For Matt Taibbi, that should be. And isn't that terrible? <laughs> yeah. Um, but so wait, if Prince is the artist formerly known as Prince, right? Right. Uh, then this baby is like the baby currently known as unpronounceable. Yeah. In yeah. Brackets. Right. As as the unknown variable minus AI plus a plane that's fast in battle, yeah. but uh, but is is only def is defensive only. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's okay though, you know. I mean, it's like the billionaire version of Dances with Wolves or something like that, right? right? You yes. know, is born with money. I guess that's what the, yeah, that's exactly a, right. right. Yes. Yeah. That, that's that's the Native American that's name. That's how you pronounce for, it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is born with money. Anyway, you're right. I was triggered. So, but I, but but probably on on the on the on balance, less horrible than the the murder self suicide of somebody who was about to solve all of all of the Earth's, Earth's problems. So. Yeah. Maybe if it hadn't had that extra kick at the end, it would have been equivalent. But he really bumped it up again with the uh, the murder suicide or really raised, you know, right. Made impossible right. to reach those heights, even with a plane. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so what else? We, what else do we have this week that we want to talk about? Well, I mean, Trump is like, you know, saying that Corona is basically over. We're reopening the country. We can talk about that with our guests probably. But um, I did think that there was an interesting story. I don't know if you've seen this. There's been kind of like a um, Bay of Pigs 2.0 that much like the Bay of Pigs failed. And instead of being in Cuba this time, it was in Venezuela. And it was apparently uh, they, the, the plan was to kidnap Maduro and overthrow his government. But it didn't work out very well. And uh, it was coordinated by this guy who's very interesting. He's Canadian, again, which is always kind of inherently. Right, we have a theme going in this show. I know, I was going to say. And then you throw in Elon Musk and then you got the whole Commonwealth. But his name is Jordan Goudreau, by the way. So there have been some mercenaries uh, 
arrested after this raid in Venezuela. But if we could just show that I have two videos about this guy, Jordan Goudreau, who's claimed credit for this, for organizing this failure. At 1700 hours, a daring amphibious raid was launched from the border of Colombia deep into the heart of Caracas. Our men are continuing to fight right now. Our units have been activated in the south, west, and east of Venezuela. Commander Nieto is with me, is co-located, and Commander Sakea is on the ground now fighting. For those who are just listening and not watching, um, he is sitting, well, standing with his, is there a name for this, Matt? He's, they're both standing with it's, one leg bent. It's like stitting. Stitting, yeah. They, yeah. They're standing on a leg and they have, their other leg is bent at 90 degrees and then their foot is on something elevated. So it's like they're about to do a lunge or something. There, there's um, a, Groucho Marx does this in one of his movies. I think it's a night at the, night at the opera. Okay. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to look that up. Uh, but yeah, they're a half standing, half, half crouching pose. Yeah, Very manly. Yeah, very manly. And the guy who he's next to, which is a uh, apparently retired Venezuelan National Guard captain, he's just sitting there and he's making like the most amazing face. How would you describe the face? It's almost like duck face. It looks like it looks like someone shoved um, five rotten lemons in his mouth yeah. uh, and told him that and then like stapled his lips together. Right. And told him to look butch at the same time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And these guys, incidentally, they both look like they just escaped from the trying on section and the gap. And then if we can see this other video, this guy, Jordan Goudreau, and he runs this like private security firm. Uh, so if you go to his website, something really interesting is going to happen, which is that you're going to see his mouth moving, but there's just music in the background. So Matt, we'll have to describe the video for people who are only listening. So it's basically a video that looks like it's shot on very expensive footage. And you see this guy shirtless in almost every part. He's doing stuff like boxing, kickboxing. Here he is getting out of a fancy car. Here he is running around with his dog. His, his, um, ex, his extremely scary looking pit bull, which is his companion. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And and the company he, he runs is Silver Core. And it's let me just read the weird, really weird description of it. It was founded by uh, with one purpose in mind. We provide governments and corporations with realistic and timely solutions to irregular problems. They advise corporations, governments worldwide operating in over 50 countries and based in the space coast of Florida. By the way, anything based in Florida tends to be reactionary and and wants to overthrow, especially uh, populist or leftist governments in Latin America. Now, come on, no, we're, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna smear all of Florida with that brush. I mean, well, I'm just on. saying anything security-ish, let's say, based in Florida. Is that fair? How would you're right? I'm being I'm pay, I am smearing them, but what I feel like you'd be good at this, Matt. What is the equation? Again, we keep we keep coming up with these equations, but like, what's the any blank based in Florida, what? Any security company? Yeah, any any any, any, any private security military contractor. Yeah, that's probably yes. yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Um as a leading global provider of crisis leadership, risk management, complex project leadership and project integration, Silvercore USA provides services to commercial and government clients around the world. Its dynamic planning and precise solutions include a range of diverse services. These include crisis plans and consulting, risk management, special projects, and critical infrastructure risk analysis. At Silvercore, our priority is to achieve veritable success for our clients. So, uh, yeah, you know, he apparently was inspired. He said he was inspired by Alexander the Great. 
who's, who, quote, struck deep into the heart of the enemy at the Battle of Gogamela in 331 BC. It was a good year for Alexander. And apparently, uh, did you catch this detail that a couple, so the, <laughs> the Maduro government had some fun uh, talking about who they busted, that they arrested a pair of quote unquote professional mercenaries named Luke Denman and Aaron Berry, uh, who carried ID cards for Silver Corps. Uh, and Maduro uh, equated their alleged efforts to overthrow his government to, quote, playing Rambo and playing right. hero. And, <laughs> and it turns out that what, at least one of these people was carrying an airsoft rifle. Uh, when, they, when they went in to take on, I mean, there's 62 people, and they took on an army of 40,000, and one of them was <laughs> carrying a fake gun. Yeah, what is were, that? I mean, you know, I'm really ignorant about that, but what is that? Uh, an airsoft rifle is like something you would use, gun, gun enthusiasts can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is something you'd use like in a military training scenario, I'm pretty sure. It's not, it, they hurt, I think, when you when you get hit, hit by it's them. It's like paintball, kind of? Something like, it's like a, a step up from paintball, maybe? I don't know, but uh, but certainly not lethal. And um, so I guess they wanted to make their odds even a little bit worse since I guess 40,000 versus 62 was not, not good enough. You know, 62, 40,000 against 61 and one with an airsoft rifle. So these dopes uh, got, they failed. And, um, and now they're, they're going to be made sport of by the, uh, the Venezuelan government is it is it clear yet what's going to happen to these? No, I, I, I'm just I'm just trying to imagine the meeting where a bunch of people sat around the table and said this is going to work. Well, apparently Guaido, I mean, it sounds like Guaido's plans in uh, in Venezuela in general, and Guaido is of course like the shadow president of uh, Venezuela who tried to take over and establish him, uh, call himself the president. Trump, of course, also called him the president and had him at the State of the Union. Um, big failure, though. Big fail. The guy Guaido, and uh, apparently they had a they had an arrangement, but then they canceled the arrangement. But uh, uh, Jordan went ahead anyway. What's up with really weird Canadian Jordans who have weird issues about like masculinity? You mean like Jordan? You're gonna make a Jordan Peterson reference yeah, here? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much this has to do with Jordan Peterson. This, this is, this is a. No, I'm just looking for the thread. Right. Yeah. The 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 thread is is like. Guy, hyper-masculine, guy, actually, guy, guys who have masculinity issues, right? Uh, who spend too much time with each other and have read too many Tom Clancy novels and think that they they can engineer their, their way out of a political dilemma with some high-flying, daring, uh, you know, covert operation. And when, is, when has something like this ever worked? Right. I'm trying to remember. This recalls the the effort to rescue the hostages in Iran, although that, you know, you can understand that one a little bit more because they weren't literally trying to overthrow a government. Right. They were trying but, to rescue people. Right. A right. Bit, right. But the absurdity of this is just is uh, is off the charts. You see, there was something to the Canadian Jordan theory, though. How so? with masculinity, sending men off to do stupid things. 
I assume some kind of drug rehab uh, stint is in the near future for, for Jordan. <laughs> he said he was the organizer. They're working with me. Those are my guys. I, I hate to come back to this, but it just really this 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 situation just reeks of cocaine, right? Yeah. This, this, this is yeah. one of these things where, you know, you're having a meeting and everybody's p- tossing the ideas around and then the two guys run into each other in the restroom afterwards. And they're like, you know, you had some really great ideas back there. Like, right. yeah, like that's, that's. But then they're like, wait, you actually did that? Yeah. Yeah, I know you, dude, you actually did that shit. Right. Like that's, that's, that's when you want to, you, you hope you come down before you go on and do anything. But God, this, this, this is the thing. If you poll Americans and you ask them, which group of people do you have the highest degree of trust in? Like they, they have no trust in the media for absolutely good reasons. They have no trust in Congress. Uh, they have very little trust in almost every other institution. But, but the military, there is still a relatively high degree of trust. Right. In, in the military in this country. And there's a reason for that, which is that the people who actually like serve in regular military, uh, you know, battalions, they are very good at doing what they're told and, and they build things. Uh, they're, they're practiced, they're trained. It's the people who are a level up though uh, in the military hierarchy who are making like strategic decisions and or contracting decisions who are completely insane and incompetent uh, you know, so if you're, yeah, if you want to talk about the Army Corps of Engineers, would you trust them to build a dam in your neighborhood? Absolutely. Right. But it's just unbelievable that they would try something like this. We should call them, we should come up for a, ter- for a term for this genre of person, which is a Jordan. Like what is a, Jordan? a Jordan? Yeah. Right. Right. So this is like a Contra Karen thing. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Jordan. Yeah. Okay, Jordan. Right. right. Like whenever someone announces something that reveals some weird issues with masculinity and something that won't work, but that a lot of hyped up men will follow and support. Okay. Jordan. Right. Right. So if you're, if you're posting videos of yourself running shirtless with your pit bull. Right. Like, okay, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Jordan. Yeah. Also, it's the weirdest part of that video is that he's talking and looking at the camera, but there's music over it at certain parts. And like, who made that editing fail? I want a lip reader to tell us what he was saying, because maybe it's not an editing fail. Maybe it's a good damage control, because maybe who knows what he was saying? Like, maybe he was he, giving he was, away secrets. Yeah, he was telling us where Jimmy Hoffa was buried. Yeah, right. Can I just yeah. say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this isn't a bigger story. I think it's because it's so embarrassing to the United States and it's such great PR for Maduro. I mean, like, what are the headlines in other countries? Like, U.S. steps on own dick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, like massive U.S. face plant. U.S. massive face plant. Like, I mean, I I don't even know what the headline would would be. U.S. colon, sorry about your penis. (laughs) Right, right. But also, those two guys are going to, they're going to have an interesting future as they're like in, 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 dictionaries next to douchebag they're going to have the sort of like the lion art fa- versions of their faces yeah, exactly. you know i mean where, where do you go from releasing self-worshipping videos of yourself running on a beach shirtless with your and and and, and jump punching into a, a a heavy bag with like jujitsu mitts on before you go launching a failed amphibious mission into uh, Venezuela with an airsoft rifle, they wouldn't have even thought of that in, in like the movie Step Brothers. Like that's yeah. that's like prestige worldwide dumb kind of a thing. Yeah, it right? is. It's almost <laughs> like I'm one. I mean, it's something like if I were Maduro, I would have like paid for that as a PR thing, but right. he didn't have to because the U.S. has such a. 
they really have such a great record of of like totally missing the mark with uh, especially in Latin America. Well, normally when we when we're accomplishing our objectives, it, it, we're just using brute violence and and economic terrorism and all those other good things. This is different. You're 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 right. If Maduro if Maduro had called a big PR firm, if he had called Burson Marsteller, for instance, and said, "Hey, I, I've got fifty million dollars. What can you do for me that would make make me look good and make uh, make Americans look like total total goobers?" Right. Like this is what they would probably come up with. That's probably about about as much as that would cost to, to send 62 idiots uh, into your country with, you know, with fake weapons. But yeah, a, a hilarious story. And yeah, unfortunately, because it's, we're in the middle of a, of a transformative worldwide disaster, will not get the attention it deserves. I know. Probably. Well, what we can do is we can try to, you know how um, Keith Oberman used to do that thing? Like it's been 27 days since George oh, yes. declared yeah. mission accomplished. We should be like, it's been 27 days since Jordan Gondro. Goudreau, launched. right? Goudreau. Yeah, Why yeah. the hell can't I say his name? So it's we been, it's been two, two days. AJ after after Jordan. All right. Well, uh, what else we have going on in the, in the world this week? Well, uh, well, we got some exciting news out of New York State, where a federal judge ordered on Tuesday that New York State uh, hold its canceled Democratic primary in June, which places Senator Bernie Sanders and other former 2020 candidates back on the ballot. Uh, and this was thanks to a case uh, lawsuit filed by. Do you know who? Do you guys know who? No. Who? Yang. Oh, right. We are. This is a useful idiots influenced. And really, we should. It should have been called useful idiots v. Board of Elections, because I don't know (laughs) if Andrew Yang would have had the confidence and gumption to do this had he not gotten that very important useful idiots bump that we gave him. You th- you think uh, we're the we're the ones who pushed him over the line? I think so. Yeah, to give to give him that confidence that along with how many billions of dollars he has. Um, so what does this mean exactly? With this, so this uh, the primary is going to happen. Does that have done, any? Yeah, delayed but there happening but delayed. Are you going to um, vote in it? I'm really um, uh, agnostic. I don't know whether to vote for Yang. Yeah, right, right. What a what a cliffhanger uh, about who who you're going to vote for. Yeah. Well, there are other candidates that are involved, and I have to consider all of them and see what of their policies I like. And uh, I'm not sure. I will say that Andrew Yang coming in person versus Bernie only on the phone, and not just only on the phone, but only on the phone as in no video. I'm not going to. I can't pretend that I can't say that doesn't have some effect on my assessment of the candidates. Well, I mean, look, it's like a, it's like an Agatha Christie mystery, right? Like there's just, there are just so many choices. It's going to be really, really difficult to predict. The big question is whether Biden's going to get his 1991 delegates and, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that, all, I mean, it might end up playing into Biden's hands actually to ha- have, have the, all these elections. Anything else we have? I have one thing, which is, you know, we do stone moments. This is not a stone moment per se, but it makes me feel like I'm stoned because, dudes, do you guys know about this? Dan, maybe you're too young for this to mean anything for you. Matt, how you know Kurt Loder, right? Yeah, from MTV. MTV. And you know who was at Rolling Stone before then? I didn't. Yeah, he was a big deal at Rolling Stone. How old do you think he is? He just had a birthday. Don't look at the document. How old do you think he is? 65. 
He just turned 75. Wow, seriously? Yes, isn't that weird? He's older than my parents. That's yeah, crazy. How we, I don't know why, like, this is one of those moments where I feel very connected to humanity because everyone on Twitter was freaking out about it. Huh. Uh, like, he shouldn't be that old. Right. He should be yeah. like maybe 65, maybe 60, maybe 55, something along those lines. I don't know what this is based on exactly, but it's a vibe. Yeah, it's, it's one of those people who I guess, well, because he was in a sort of youth-centric media vehicle, you thought maybe thought he was younger than he was. I guess, yeah. How maybe or maybe that? maybe he's like an undead supernatural creature, right? Like he's like a Highlander thing. There's actually been a Kurt Loder in every generation through the centuries since dating back to 11th century Scotland or something like right. that. If, yeah. we, if we go back and look, we're gonna find we're gonna find portraits of them uh, everywhere. You, why don't you go when this? Oh, I guess you can't go back into the Rolling Stone office, but you could like look around and sneak around and see if you find anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, what what would be the precursor magazine? I mean, in the Saturday Evening Post, he probably right. worked. He probably worked there in 1934 when he when he was the same age. Right. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. So weird. Yeah. And he was he was in the background in the, in the painting of the Boston Massacre. He's probably in yeah. the background. The Boston Tea Party. Yeah. We're going to we're going to find little Kurt Loaders everywhere. The Last Supper. Right. Right. Exactly. At the end. Listeners, listeners and readers and, and viewers of Useful Idiots, if you can find Kurt Loader throughout history, uh, let us know. And we'll, I think we can agree here. We'll, we'll send you a t-shirt. So we had virus, failed coup. What else do we have? Murder, suicide. Licking food. Licking. Uh, so, all right. So, so that, that thus ends the snarky uh, version portion of the show. We have a super interesting interview we're going to do. Long overdue, we're going to take a serious look at the coronavirus problem and we're going to talk to uh, Dr. Christian Brichot, uh, who is an expert uh, virologist and who's going to tell us all about the process of identifying diseases and combating them and the, the, all the, the challenges that lay ahead and what, uh, what we can expect in terms of that, of that fight. So it's going to be a super interesting interview and we're looking forward to it. Yeah. Welcome to Useful Idiots, uh, Dr. Christian Brichot, uh, and thank you so much for coming on. So if we could just begin with, you're the president, I believe, of the Global Virus Network. Could you tell us what that is? Yeah, the Global Virus Network is a network of about um, 53 research centers all over the world. Uh, it's coordinated from Baltimore and also Tampa, uh, and uh, I'm also, uh, as I said, a professor at the University of South Florida. And this has been created a few years ago by Bob Gallo, who is a very famous virologist. And it's really about merging the best experts in virology all over the world uh, to really fight against uh, all viruses. Obviously, uh, nowadays, COVID-19 is at the forefront of the fight, but we are really working on all viruses. And you see, the idea is that we need to find new mechanisms to fight against infectious disease. Obviously, in each country, you have research agencies. In the US, you have the NIH, you have, and this is extremely powerful. You have large foundations, such as the Gates Foundation and so on. But we need mechanisms where very rapidly, you can get all experts on one topic, working together, collaborating, 
And this is really what the uh, Global Voice Network is about. And that's and that's that was the conception of putting that that uh, yeah. that group together was to have essentially a kind of rapid response group yeah. of of experts from around the world. Right? Exactly, rapid and collaborative. You see, collaborative, and as opposed to competitive, right? right. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so, so when you're in a, um, a a situation like this, and if I understand correctly, your your expertise originally was in liver diseases and the hepatology. But for any new contagion that arises, what's the first step? How do you identify what the disease is and who does that kind of work? Uh, and, and how is it done in this case? Yeah, well, that's, that's a very good question because actually this is one of the lessons uh, we may take from the, we must take from COVID-19 because we have been uh, insufficient prepared for this. The key for all these infectious diseases is rapid identification by rapid testing, then contact tracing, and then isolation. And for example, in South Korea, in Taiwan, and also to some extent in Germany, they have been able to be very, uh, very efficient, you see. And then you can really contain an infectious disease. Uh, but if you do not succeed to do this because you do not have enough diagnostic testing, because you do not have enough capacities for tracing, for isolating, then you have the spreading. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so if you have lo- if you have lost, I would say the first battle, because you have not been able uh, to 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 limit the spread the spreading, then you have to contain. And this is what has been done in many countries. And this has been efficient. Because you see, a virus uh, is both a very astute organism, Mm -hmm. very intelligent in a way, unfortunately, and at the same time, completely dependent on us. Because a virus cannot live by itself. Right. So if you contain, and if you limit the number of people who can be infected, well, the virus will disappear by itself. So uh, now, obviously, the containment by itself does not uh, is not sufficient to get the virus disappear. But it has really limited the spread. And what we see now worldwide in Europe, in the US, in all continents, is that we have been able to contain the spreading of the virus. So now we are coming to the third phase, and then we are in really. I would say, unexplored territories, is how do you relieve a containment? Mm -hmm. Because you you cannot be content forever. I mean, you have, obviously, economic, but also psychological, sociological consequences, which are enormous. We see this every day. So you have to relax the containment. But at the same time, obviously, what you want to avoid it's just to have the second wave and you lose everything and you have to recontain. And for this, it's both simple and complicated. It's just respecting very simple rules, physical distance, mask, washing the hands and avoiding large gatherings. And how do you, how do you find out what kind of diseases is it? R- RNA testing, DNA testing. Like, how do you identi- isolate and identify 
the virus yeah. at the beginning of the process. And what does that tell you? Yeah, nowadays you have we have technological. Uh, we, we have made some uh, technology progress, which are huge. I mean, so you can, in a very few days, isolate the nucleic acids, DNA or RNA, and you sequence, and you know which virus, which bacteria it is about. And then, in a second step, you can generate antibodies, <coughs> uh, antibodies detecting serological assays, you see? Mm -hmm. Because you have the sequence of the virus or of the bacteria. Now, just to explain, for uh, the Ebola, for example, uh, that was 2014, 2015, well, it took some time to get the sequence. Uh, but this time, I mean, the sequence has been obtained in, uh, I don't know, three days, four days, you see? Right, it was early January. They, they yeah, the yeah, right? end of yeah. December, early January. Yeah. So this, this I mean, we, we do not have only negative points regarding COVID-19. We also have positive ones. You see, we have fantastic progress in technology, in science, but we have to use it for the best mm. of the control of the fight against epidemics. So we have to connect science, surveillance, politics, I would say as a whole, and coordination of politics. The sequencing can, can tell us a lot, right? It can, it can tell us how yes. old the disease is, uh, its origins. What, what did we learn from, from the sequencing of this disease? The sequence will tell you about, obviously, the, the agent, the nature of the agent. Is it a DNA and RNA? Does it belong? You see, in this case, uh, the Chinese colleagues, they were uh, uh, discovering a new agent. So what is it about? Well, it's a member of the coronavirus family. Okay, mm -hmm. so we know about the previous coronaviruses, you see? So it already provides you a lot of information as to which type of disease we are talking about. Then what you can do is what we call a phylogenetic. In a way, it's a kind of a genealogic uh, tree of where this virus comes from. So you, you start and you trace. You trace all the infected individuals and you sequence the virus for all of them. And we have a database. So this is great because now we have really a sharing of information. We have a database. They have, I believe, uh, up to 10,000 sequences of viral genomes now all over the world. Wow. So you can say, okay, the spreading started there and then the virus came there and how it goes. But Beyond this, what you really want to understand is how did it start? Where did it come from? And this is how they learned that this virus was very likely now, this is nearly for sure, generated by a recombination between a virus coming from bats with animals such as the famous pangolin, right. uh, which, <laughs> which is at the forefront of the conversations, which is a kind of horrible small mammifer <laughs> that you would never like to eat, but some people eat it. <laughs> it's a funny looking animal for sure. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so that's really what this, uh, what they learn actually. And now, the key question is, do we think that this virus is evolving, you see? 
Because when you have an RNA virus, this is an RNA virus, when the virus multiplies, the enzyme which drive the replication of the virus, of the viral genome, makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. Okay? So each time you have a new virus, you have just a handful, maybe one or two or three mutations, but they will allow you to pinpoint the difference. Now, this may only be useful, as I said, to trace the virus, but this may have other consequences. For example, would it be modified could it modify the envelope of the virus? So then, might this impact the efficacy of the future vaccines? You see? Or right. not? I'm not telling that this is the case, you see, but this is a question you ask yourself. Right. And then you have another question. Is it possible that this virus, by evolving, would induce more severe lesions, you see, mm -hmm. because of the genetic variability? We do not have evidence so far for this, fortunately. But there has been one report a few days ago, but we have to be very careful, you see, because things need to be verified. But the claim they make is that maybe from the original virus, uh, some uh, strains emerge, emerge, which are more contagious right. and they spread to Europe and then to the US. Okay, mm -hmm. this has to be confirmed because you see a problem we have, the good point is that we have a huge effort of the international medical scientific community. I, I have been the head of a large research institution before coming in the US, I've been the head of the French NIH, of the Institute Pasteur, so I have really witnessed many crises, you see. I have never seen such an effort. So that's very good. Then everybody wants to publish, which is very good because you want to have transparency and publish your data. Mm -hmm. But then things go so far, so fast that you have many papers that have just not been reviewed by experts, you see? Right. And they are online. So we have to be careful with the results. We have to be sure that they are verified. But to your point, sequence analysis, tells you which virus, gives you an idea of the disease, allows you to trace the virus, and maybe uh, and allows you to ask important questions as to the genetic variability. Just to follow up on that point about the mutations that were reported a few days ago, I, you know, I read phrases like deletions may reduce viral fitness. Like, can, a, can the mutation uh, make the disease, can it hurt the disease? Uh, it, it, how, how and how would that work out? I mean, uh, I, you know, I read things like if it makes it more lethal, it'll actually kill its host faster and maybe that will reduce the spread. What are they talking about when they use phrases like that? No, that's so, that's a very, that, you see, SARS-CoV-1, the first SARS in mm -hmm. 20, uh, in 2003, 2004, okay? Very deadly viral infections up to 15% of uh, infected patients died, okay? Uh, Ebola virus, up to 60, 70% of death. Well, these virus, they will not propagate so easily because they kill many of their hosts, you see? Uh, and if you kill your host, 
uh, well, you are left without a host to spread. Right. So this is what they mean, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a virus, now the problem we have with SARS-CoV-2 is that very unfortunately, this is one of the best com combination because it is deadly. It does induce death, but not too much, mm. not too much. And it's very contagious. And so this is a situation where you have for the virus all the opportunity to spread. You don't kill too much your host. It's very cynical what I'm telling. This is a point of view of the. This is a point of view of the virus. You see, right? right. You have to think <laughs> like it, though. Yeah. <laughs> do you think of the virus like when you're thinking about this or working on it or analyzing it? Do you kind of think of it as like a as an analytical being? Well, that's an interesting point. I, frankly, yes, sometimes. Because <laughs> it helps you, like, figure it out, yeah. right? You see, I mean, viruses have been with us for such a long time. I mean, you see, uh, when we came to Earth, I mean, we had viruses. And many of these viruses, they have been our friends. Uh, they had helped us to shape what we are. Uh, for example, some retroviruses, we call them, which are present in our genome, uh, they have been very important for... Uh, for, for women to get pregnant, I mean, to have the placenta and the, and the newborns and so on. And then we have this, uh, uh, these enemies. So, yes, this is maybe because I'm living in the virology right. <laughs> all days, but I have a tendency to think to them as a kind of uh, special organisms which, uh, which want to get rid of us, actually. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Or at least survive, right? How do you decide whether a, a, a virus is a good candidate for a vaccine and what kind of uh, approach are you going to take when you're trying to develop? Like, what are the steps that you have to take at the beginning to try yeah. to develop a, develop a vaccine? First, you have to think in a very bold way. Mm -hmm. We have no possibility at the beginning to really bet on a better vaccine process than the others. Now, this may depend on the virus. For example, you have some viruses. They are part of the family of other viruses where we know that efficient vaccines were generated against. Okay? So, logically, you will use the same path to develop the vaccines as the one which were used for the previous one. But mm. this is not the case for coronavirus. Mm. Uh -oh. So we have to take, and this is a very good point for what is being done. Everything is being tried at the same time. And that's the way to do. We have more than 130 candidates. This is incredible. I mean, it's so hard to follow up even, I mean, to really. And, but that's very good because we will see which one is the best, you see. Mm -hmm. So you cannot decide so obviously, each of the group will decide based generally on their experience. I know how to use, uh, I don't know, missile viruses as a vector. Okay, I will use missile viruses for coronavirus, you see? Mm -hmm. And then I know how to use, uh, how to engineer the envelope protein. Okay, I will engineer the envelope protein of SARS-CoV-2. But at the end of the day, when you look at the overall pictures, you will see coming in all areas. So we will know. We will know soon. And 
You see, I'm absolutely convinced, and first, we have to be very humble, because this virus, I mean, we have been caught by surprise on many things. So what I really keep repeating is that it's good to have experts, it's nice to have scientists and to discuss with them, but they have to be humble, uh, which is important. And then, uh, having said that, I really believe that we will have a vaccine, you see. So it seems obvious to say it, okay, we will have a vaccine. Yeah, it's anything but obvious because so far on coronavirus, we have had a hard time to get vaccines. But I really believe this. When? When? That become a little bit controversial because you have announcements. We have the vaccine. We will have next October. At worst, it will be early January. Uh, maybe there is a confusion be between you see, having a first proof of, e of efficacy of a vaccine, which is very good, and having a vaccine that you can, you can use for mass vaccination. And then comes a very important point, which is safety and also the trust from the population. Because there have been a very interesting poll on some, uh, I don't know, not only in France, I believe also in the US, I don't remember exactly where. The question was, oh, are you going to be vaccinated against SARS-CoV-2? Well, you would expect to have 99.99% of positive answers. Not at all. Not at not, all. Not in America. <laughs> yeah. Many people said, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, so, and, and you can understand maybe why. So you really have to ensure absolute safety of the product. So then it takes some time. So uh, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But if I have to, to express my opinion, I hardly believe uh, that we could have the vaccine before summer 2021, end of 2021. Some people would disagree with me. And again, I would be very, very happy to be wrong. Very happy. But then you have a very interesting point, which is the following. If you have a vaccine, which is only partly uh, efficient, okay, you know that you cannot control everything, but you can have an effect. Well, then you can use this if you have, for example, new burst of infection somewhere, you see? So it's not a mass vaccination worldwide, but you can use it to control. So that's really uh, uh, an important point. And finally, regarding vaccination, and this is where science presently is really exploding, uh, you can have non-specific uh, uh, stimulation. For example, there are some reports which really suggest, and this makes sense, that BCG therapy, so which is a vaccine against tuberculosis, mm -hmm. not only protects against tuberculosis, but induces a kind of bystander effect by protecting against other bacteria or viruses. Mm. And actually, there are clinical trials ongoing now in, in, in Europe and also in uh, in Australia, I believe, where they are testing this possibility. So you see, not only you can have a specific vaccine against the coronavirus, but you can stimulate 
the protection our defense mechanisms against the virus. And there is a second orientation that we have been also very much promoting with Bob Gallo in the uh, Global Virus Network is to use polio vaccines, oral polio vaccines. For a number of reasons, I will not go into detail, there is some evidence in other models that it might, again, provide a kind of non-specific stimulation of the defense against uh, the, um, uh, the uh, coronavirus. So you see, it goes into so many directions, but this is very positive. So the, sorry, that idea is the, the oral polio vaccine might have a, a kind of secondary effect of yeah. increasing the, the antivirus, the, the immune response against yeah. coronavirus. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, and yeah. possibly also um, interfering with the viral replication with the SARS-CoV-2 by some mechanisms. Yes, it's very, very interesting. Yeah. And is that something that's new that you've only discovered in the course of this? Of yes, this? yes, absolutely. I, I mean, no, it's, I, this is also where you need the old guys, you see, and you need the memory. It's <laughs> right. about ancient virological concepts mm -hmm. that you bring back with the memory. And you see, this is very interesting. Virology in general and worldwide, Virology in general over the next 20, 25 years has been underappreciated. Mm. B, for the recruitment of new scientists, I have seen this when I was in my previous positions, I see this in the US. B, on the support. You see, there has been this idea that, of course, yes, 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 we have infectious agents, yes, of course, but what is important is cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer, and so on, which is true, obviously. I'm not telling that we should forget about this disease. But what COVID-19 reminds us, it says, hey, this is not finished. This is not over. We are there. Right. And we can get you. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, this is what we have to remember. How I f It feels like so much science and medicine is immediately like in, interconnected with politics. But it seems like virology is even more in some ways than other spheres. Um, how much of your time is spent thinking about politics and the interaction between viruses and politics? Is it even possible to not think about politics in your field of work? And well, <laughs> I'm trying to think as less as possible on the connection between virology and politics. No, but your point is well taken. And for example, at the University of South Florida, I'm in charge of a task force on COVID-19. And this is really a transdisciplinary aspect where we bring together not only technology, science, but also humanities, behavioral science, and politics. This is why I'm coming to this. And yes, we need to analyze. We need to investigate these interactions. Because, I mean, you see, uh, after uh, Ebola crisis, we have witnessed a lot of progress in global public health worldwide. The WHO was reorganized in part. We had a new coordination mechanism. So that was very positive. And you see, if we were to have this interview, say, uh, eight months ago, uh, and you would ask me, do you think that we have made progress in the global health over the past year? The answer would be yes, because this is true. And this is why it gets crazy. I mean, at the same time, we have been again caught by surprise mm. on this. So it means that we have to go 
for politics, but politics in the positive sense of the word, that means how to better harmonize our way to react. You see, the way the countries have been reacting has been, okay, I close my borders, right. I don't want to think of anybody else, I just want to be re-elected, so I have to show to my population that I'm protecting them, okay? That's a little bit sharp, but that's sure. about true, okay? And that's not the way to do it, because you see, Louis Pasteur has been the first to say, okay, sorry, but the viruses, the bacteria, they don't know the borders. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right. It is. It's interesting because it, I think it can kind of shape consciousness in a way about how we see the world and each other. Because if things, if viruses are international or like transcend nation states and borders, that can affect the way you know, the decisions of different governments or even just how people see each other. Absolutely. No, but you see, I mean, we, we, we spend at least five to 10 years analyzing what has happened. You see, we have never witnessed how a single virus can disorganize the world. And yes, I mean, and it's about, so for me, politics, you have, obviously, we do have contacts with politics and uh, it's about uh, providing advice, which is very good. Uh, and it's about trying to calm down some uh, politicians and so on. But it's also, I mean, more interestingly, I would say, it's really about shaping the future of the way we want to think after this crisis. Right. You, you, you talked about virology being neglected. Uh, for, for do, do you think that's over? You think we're, we're, it's not going to be neglected anymore? I mean, obviously, you know, when something like HIV happens, suddenly everybody needs virologists. But they that that problem eventually came under control. But this one has been so serious and so affecting that I would imagine that there's not going to be that kind of neglect again. At least anytime soon, or or am I wrong about that? No, no, I believe you are absolutely right. Mm -hmm. This would change the way we see, uh, and now it's also I would say we need to have what I call the new virology. You see, the new virology is a virology which integrates the old concepts. You see, how do you cultivate a virus? How do you understand some very basic things about virus? Uh, but you, this you have to incorporate into the new technologies. We were talking about genome analysis, you see. Uh, and then it's about all what is uh, offering the artificial intelligence, contact tracing, and it's about humanities behavior. So for me, the new virology is a virology where obviously it's about the best experts finding treatment, finding vaccines, and so on. But integrating the virology, you see, into the whole uh, science. So I'm sure that uh, it, would be, it would be very different. Yes, I I'm really sure. Were you scared when you heard uh, Trump suggest bleach, injecting bleach or whatever his theories are? Does that give you like, does that make your heart beat faster? Or is that something you expect now regularly from Trump? <laughs> his like new scientific theory of the day or well i believe that uh, the uh, they have realized that uh, 
there is a point you should not reach. I mean, uh, and uh, no, I, I believe that. Uh, well, I, I don't want to be, you sure. see, uh, provocative and so on. But <laughs> I believe that you have to be. Uh, you have to be careful when you speak. Um, right. When people, everybody's so desperate to get their lives back to normal. What, what's the best hope? Is it, is it a vaccine? Is it the disease mutating? Is it the development of some kind of treatment? Uh, that, uh, or is it a combination of all these things? Um, what, or, you know, some kind of, vec I guess yeah. there's no vector control here, but, but what, what should people be putting their hopes in? Certainly not the vaccine. The vaccine will be there to prevent the new rounds, you see. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that would be very important, obviously, but uh, for, that's for the future, the way I see it. Mm -hmm. Now, you see, you have first to answer really to your question. First, we don't know. You cannot exclude that with the uh, summer. You see, for example, in, the, the virus does not like heat, but even more than this, it doesn't like humidity, you see. Mm -hmm. so, for example, in Florida, well, we have humidity. Uh, uh, so you cannot exclude the fact of this seasonal effect and that just with the summer, but the problem is summer is here, but it means winter uh, in other continents, you see, so it doesn't solve right. everything. But you cannot exclude that there will be a seasonal effect which will have a, a significant impact. Having said that, my hope is uh, the hope I really put on First, simple people meeting with respecting physical distance, mask, and no gathering, okay? Mm -hmm. That's first. And then treatment. I believe that treatments are really making a lot of progress. And for me, the new challenge, but it is too early, but we have some hints, is preventive treatment. Is it possible to have therapies which with very little or no side effects that you can take if you have been in contact with somebody, uh, if you are at risk, you see, of COVID-19. That mm -hmm. would change in everything. So my hope uh, is a combination of seasonal variations, respecting very simple measures, and possibly adding on this all the bulk of treatment. And that would make the bridge with the occurrence of vaccines, which then would allow us to be uh, to prevent all the new rounds over the next years. Does this, uh, in terms of the socio-political aspect, do you think that this makes the case for something like Medicare for All? And do you have any thoughts on how social distancing should be achieved, whether more through punishment or more through education? Well, that's... Two very tricky questions. Even for the end. <laughs> Specializes in those. Yeah, yeah. I'm like a sneaky, vi I'm a sneaky virus. You think yeah. you yeah, got rid yeah. of me and I'm... No, I, I would take the second first. Uh, it's really... That, that's a very difficult question uh, because it really depends on the population. For example, in South Korea, uh, people will not react the same as in France, in Italy, or in South America, you see. But in general... I would go for obligatory. Uh, and I know that, again, many people would disagree with me, uh, and uh, I may be wrong, but I believe that, you see, that's the only way. Mm -hmm. uh, to make it, just to explain that this is part of life for a Now, regarding Medicare for all, uh, I mean, it depends how you want it. 
in any case, you see, it advocates for reinforcing the social measures to taking care of individuals. You see, I'm, I'm living obviously in the US now and very pleased to do so, but also obviously keeping uh, my roots in France, you see. Right. So two very different systems, you see. And actually, well, this crisis really shows the benefit of the French system, I mean. Uh, and when I see in the US, so many people in unemployment. I mean, this is heartbreaking. I mean, the, the way. So I believe I'm not. Uh, I'm not in a position to say, okay, it has to be Medicare for all. Or, but it has anyway. Whatever the final mechanisms, it will call for thinking really further on uh, a, a mechanism to really take care, to better take care of people. Okay. That's for sure. And this is what we are learning worldwide. So more of a safety net. Yes, exactly. Less yeah. of a safety net, yeah. Is there anything about this disease that's still a su surprising and or mysterious uh, to scientists at this point? Like I remember talking to doctors early in this crisis and having them say, you know, it doesn't act like influenza. Like it acts like altitude sickness. Yeah. It's it, it has a very odd effect on patients. Like they, you know, they sit in the, the, the waiting room and they look fine, but they're hypoxic. Uh, like, is there something that's un still unusual and ununderstood about this disease? There are many things and this is incredible. We have to understand exactly what you said. Why do we have this delayed and very sudden uh, respiratory distress in some patients with what we call the cytokine storm. How does it work? Why do we have these neurological disorders? Uh, this is incredible. And we don't have time to speak about this, but there is a fantastic hypothesis which has been put forward by French scientists on the use of patch of nicotine. Huh. Oh, wow. To treat <laughs> COVID-19. Not I'm not advocating for smoking. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm advocating for patch of nicotine. So neuroscience, we have just now, I mean, we have coagulation disorders. We have vascular disorders that we do not understand. Hmm. So this virus has a lot, we have a lot to understand regarding uh, how this virus, the disease that, which is induced by this virus. This is... Uh, this is just crazy, actually. We are discovering, discovering, discovering. Wow, it's fascinating. Yeah. Doctor, thank you so thank much you so for coming much. on. Yeah. I really yeah. appreciate it. You've taught us a lot and you've taught our listeners a lot. Uh, okay. and, and we wish you the best of luck as, as you progress and try to fight this disease. Well, uh, thank you so much. Yeah, Very so interesting much. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Take care now. That was amazing. That was, it was. right? Super interesting. I have yeah. a theory. I think I know What's where it that? comes from. Kurt Loder. Kurt Lotus is uh, Loder is patient zero. Yeah, he's like but organism zero. He's virus. <laughs> we, th we think he's ageless. And then when he was talking about like where does it come from, we have to look into the history, look where it comes from, the genealogical stuff. I was like, I I'm not even kidding. I'm automatically it's out of Kurt Loder. See, he, so he 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 came out of he came out of a, a Scottish lock. Yeah, exactly. In, in 1175. Yeah. Uh, and he, with with the virus, you know, that, no, that was, that was super interesting, and and actually his demeanor uh, and his positivity is the first 
optimistic thing I've gotten out of this news cycle. Yeah, he's very calming. I liked how um how he does seem to really think of them as little like annoying. They're almost like frenemies, our frenemies, these viruses. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, it was kind of complimentary. Like, you know, they, they are very smart. It's true, yeah. I remember the only science I like is when you when I can, like, imagine, like, the intelligence of these characters. I know that maybe sounds weird, but <laughs> I can imagine when I understand the motives. Well, I mean, it's a, it's it's also, it's a great detective story. Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the people like this who are you know, they're looking at thousands of clues and, and there's the, the answer is somewhere in, you know, he's talking about there's 130 candidates. That means that there's all these teams of people who are producing reams of research every single day. And it, uh, just trying to imagine the intellectual bandwidth that you have to have to be able to pay attention to all of that and try to put together what's useful over here versus what's useful over here and coming up with a solution out of all that. I mean, it's it's a pretty thrilling story. I mean, when, when all is said and done, when they finally do come up with something for this, uh, it's going to make a great a great book right. uh, for somebody. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, fascinating to follow right now. Yeah, I hope the virus has a good uh, agent. <laughs> agent, I didn't even think of that. All right, cool. Well, thanks for tuning in to Useful Idiots, and uh, and we'll see you next week. Great. And li- oh, buy the merch. Where can people find merch? Go to the... Go to Useful Idiots. We have the link in our YouTube videos. Uh, We have the links in our podcast also. Or if you don't want to buy it, find Kurt Loder in an old painting. Oh, yeah. And then we'll send it to you. Find Kurt Loder acting as a a viral um, parasite. But it's got to be convincing. I mean, it's not like we're just going to give it to you if it's close. It's got to be him. Yeah, it's got to actually be photographic evidence of him at the beginning of time. Right, right. Yeah. So we'll give you a t-shirt for that. Good luck. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.